Hello and welcome to the Emerging Purpose Podcast with me, Greg Donaldson. This is episode five with Alan Freighter. So I've been thinking about purpose and passion, especially over this sort of Christmas period, because it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I get I get this sort of feeling over Christmas that, you know, we're sort of building up, building up you know all these to-do lists and things that we need to get for this one day which creates so much pressure and uh and i guess you know depending on what you're doing for christmas or whether you've kind of opted out or whether you there's no one that you can spend christmas with these then we all have kind of different experiences personally i find that this time of year is always a little bit tricky just because i don't like having to think into the future about what this perfect day is going to behold and then ultimately it's just another day. Um, Saying that, I did have a really lovely Christmas and I managed to uh, host uh, family and uh, cook a lovely Christmas dinner for them. But I tell you what happens to me afterwards is I get this sort of weird come down where everyone goes and then I'm sort of left and you're in this sort of middle strange space um, where there's no structure and uh, it's kind of this sense of like it's time to rest. And uh, I find that that space quite difficult myself because I'm I have this sort of attachment to purpose and uh it's really interesting, I find, to undo that attachment and kind of go, well, what if you don't have to have any purpose? Or your purpose is just to chill out, close the curtains, watch the TV, read a book, or just sleep. You know, because so much of the year is, is um, and so much of the way that this society is built is like on progression and purpose and you must be moving forwards and achieving and I've really bought into that idea, you know, and I I, um, I really sort of invite myself at this time of year to slow down and uh, kind of maybe go out for some walks along the seafront. You know, I live down in Brighton. I'm lucky enough to live down in Brighton and I can just walk along the seafront and kind of be very close to the sea. And um, But I still feel this pull in me, you know, this sort of strange pull to be in touch with my purpose and my passion. And I guess that's why, uh, partly the reason why I started this podcast is to hear and learn from other people um, about what their, what motivates them and how they stay in touch with their passion and, um, and what that actually means. So I've had some really interesting conversations about that and I'm really starting to change my relationship to what I think purpose is and, and um, what the what my ego thinks purpose is, is is to be successful in this certain way and to be thought about in this kind of way and I just have to keep coming back to the moment and remembering that actually purpose is a little bit a little bit more uh, of a a kind of um, something that that moves and changes and you can't really hang your hat on it and you can't really um, just have it as a kind of 
given that this is my purpose and this is what I'm doing because usually that just comes with a sort of ego identification so it's a strange old game uh being able to step between the two step between the sort of being a human being in the world who needs to you know make money and make an income and uh and have goals and also be someone who is a spiritual being who realizes that we are all part of the one and uh how to let go into that or how to step between those two um places anyway let me introduce alan freighter so alan freighter i met in 2012 when i was studying to be a psychotherapist at the psychosynthesis trust so he works as a tutor and a trainer there um funnily enough i found out a little bit more about alan in this conversation you know he originally graduated as a chemical engineer and he was ordained as a buddhist he then trained as as a psychotherapist and supervisor at the Psychosynthesis Trust, and now he teaches and tutors there. Uh, he is also the author of a brilliant book called Waking Dreams, Imagination in Psychotherapy and Everyday Life. I really wanted to get into, I really wanted to talk to Alan because I'd read his book, and uh, he seems, he, he, he breaks imagination down uh, within the book. And... Um, yeah, we 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 kind of got into it really, and um, you know we covered some different topics. We got into wild reading, rewilding the imagination, and I suppose really you could say we kind of got into what is the imagination. We also spoke a little bit about psychosynthesis and uh, psyche as an ecosystem. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, I must just say up front that um, we were recording quite a large room, so sometimes it gets a little bit echoey. And, um, but I think it's all pretty clear, but uh, I would have kind of preferred to have been in a smaller, more kind of uh, padded room for the acoustics, but um, I, I hadn't really uh, sorted that out. Anyway, it's all a lesson, it's all work in progress, and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation with Alan Freighter. No way. Have you watched Never it? Never read it. I've watched it a long time ago when it came out. It's funny because yeah. um, a friend of mine recently said, have you watched Game of Thrones? Mm. And I said, no, I can't. I just can't do it. I can't invest in it. And yeah. he said, don't yeah. be stupid. Yeah. Watch it. Really? <laughs> and I've, yeah. I've just, I took his advice. And yeah. I just started, I'm on like five, fifth. Oh, it's good fun. Five episodes in. Yeah, yeah. it's good fun. Yeah. But the book, yeah. I bet the book's a bit but more. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it because I watched it when it came out with my friend and um yeah, you need a gap before you read the book. Yeah. So I just started that. I just thought I might get into it over Christmas. Yeah. Reading a book called Dust on the Sea about submarines. I love submarines. So you, when you're reading, are you yeah. like a... You don't just read one book at a time. Mm. You're like, 
you've got a whole that's the trick that's the trick if you want to read yeah more don't just have one book on the go aha uh -huh. it's like different channels on the telly you're in different moods yeah so in the morning i do my non-fiction with my coffee before i walk as in oh i see so like if you're reading i've got a more non-fictiony space in the morning yeah yeah and then i have two or three novels on the go and sometimes i'll get into one and just do that but sometimes i chop and change depending on my mood and stuff yeah and that means you're always reading you know you're not just like oh i don't want to read because it's just one choice yeah. nice yeah yeah man so um is there any what particular one are you enjoying at the moment the most pat barker pat barker the psychosynthesis part no 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 that's a novel oh it's the third in a trilogy she won the booker prize in the 90s yeah the ghost road it's about it's set during the first world war there's a psychotherapist called will rivers and his patient um prior harry Pryor. harry Pryor. i'm not very good at remembering characters names <laughs> Yeah, but it's really good. Shell shock and yeah, the trenches and all that early days. Of what do you love? What do you love about right? Um, well, if you do love, but it sounds like you do love yeah. <laughs> yeah. reading. Well, imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I call it wild reading. Wild reading. Wild reading. So um, after I wrote my book. Awakened Dreams book. After I, you wrote your book? After I wrote my book. Okay, yeah. I, or as a result of writing it. I just had... And also, write, writing a book's like a long process and it's kind of, you know, it's quite focused and it's non-fiction or non-fiction reading and reflection. So I wanted to get back to fiction, reading, and I realised that novels are a waking dream. And that's the title of your book? That's the title of my book, yeah. Uh -huh. And novels are a great way to develop your imagination. And because I've studied and written about waking dreams, what I'm now doing is seeing how you can enhance your reading skills uh -huh. and get more out of your reading. Because in the old days, and I think a lot of people get stuck because it's kind of like they're trying to find the right book. Yeah. But then you just go passive to the reading process because it's, it's an interaction between the text and the reader. And you need to bring the text alive. And if you leave all that to the text and expect it just to happen, you're going to be looking for books for a long time. So, oh. so I'm really interested in how to... There's a sort of crossover from the Waking Dreams uh, book into, yeah, wild reading. So, yeah, so yeah. before we get, because I really want to talk to you about your book, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know. We've kind of started talking in a oblique way. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, but no, but that's why, I, 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 you know what I mean? I, I kind of want to get into it, but, uh, but I'm, I want to know more about you and your, yeah. what, what, cool. what kind of got you into, uh, you know, and already you're sort of <laughs> suggesting that your reading well, got you into writing that. My life was always better when I was reading a novel. Uh-huh. I've known that for a long time, yeah. since I was a kid. And I think that saved me in a way. So I, I was a voracious reader, you know, Enid Blyton and everything. Mm -hmm. And then right through into my early 20s, mid 20s. Um, but then for whatever reason, 
it became harder to read good novels. Um, it's like uh, that I lost something. It became harder to enjoy good cinema. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I got into doing what I'm doing. It's kind of like one of the reasons was, well, it was like a question, how do I get my imagination back again? Right. So, that, so when you, that question sort of came to you when you were on your psychotherapy training or, bef or before? Before. Right. Before. Um, that's partly why I signed up to train as a psychotherapist because I thought it would help me get my imagination back. <laughs> did so it? It kind of did and it kind of made it worse, like the loss of imagination. Uh, so both really. Right. <laughs> Initially I think it made it worse and then that really flummoxed me um, because I was just assuming it would enhance my imagination. So then it wasn't just like, the question how do I get my imagination back it was like a, a refinement of that it was like a question like what is it about learning to be a psychotherapist that's getting in the way of my imagination coming back because it was kind of confusing because I chose to train in psychosynthesis which is a modality that very much emphasizes imagination mm -hmm. and using images or image based techniques mm -hmm. and it gives an importance to all that and you know, there's a lot of like, you know, we were making masks and psychodrama and talking about stories and dreams and things, but um, how were we doing that uh, is the thing. Yeah. And what was our understanding of imagination? Uh, yeah. Well, in your book, yeah. I was quite interested to see the, f like the phrases that you use really resonated, like the colonization of imagination. And I kind of found that really interesting, actually, and, and resonated with me in terms of, oh God, maybe that's this what I what I've been doing, you know, like this kind of idea that, yeah, yeah that there's this egoic center, yeah, that goes out and colonizes the rest of you, yeah, and uh, and kind of reduces reduces everything down, yeah. Um, found that that's just such a fascinating concept. To, well, and obviously the antidote to that yeah. is kind of what you're interested Rewilding. in. Rewilding. <laughs> Rewilding your imagination. Yeah. 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 So just reeling back a bit, um, what, so you've always been interested in reading and then it, and then it kind of died off and, you re and going to films and things like that. So you, re so you were sort of aware that your imagination was dampening or waning, disappearing, yeah. waning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what happened? What was the sort of journey through uh, back then? I mean, you, so you knew about before training as a psychotherapist, you 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 were interested in this idea. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I mean, um, through my twenties and thirties, I was very much involved in uh, Buddhism. And uh -huh. I joined a Buddhist community. I even got ordained as a Buddhist. In '99, friends of the Western Buddhist friends order? of the Western Buddhist order, uh -huh. as was. And what was your name? I changed the name now. My name, my Buddhist name is Manjika. Manjika. Not a lot of people know that. No. Putting that out there into the pod podcast sphere. <laughs> um, I used to hang out at Buddha Fields quite a lot, and that was all the uh, the friends of the Western Buddhist order. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So the they're, they're quite big on imagination as well. Are they? And then. Sangharachta, who set up that, has a lot of space. He's got a book called The Art of Religion. 
Um, and yeah, there's, there was a lot of time given to that. So the word um, imagination was definitely around in, in that context. Um, but that didn't help me get it back either. <laughs> so interesting, I remember someone telling me about uh, going to a lot of courses at the Buddhist oh. Centre in Holloway Road. Yeah, 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 and I used um, to teach there. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he always used to talk about, he'd go to these courses and uh, he'd sort of sit there, I remember sitting in a class with him and he'd, he'd go, after the meditation class, the teacher sort of said, oh, so, you know, what happened or whatever. Yeah. He said, I got gravel. And I got I, gravel. I got gravel. As if, as if he was sort of aiming for that's what, you know, what are we aiming for in this meditation? Right. But I don't know, I suppose I'm sort of making some connection between, I don't know, the lack of imagination. Or well, I think the problem is that in psychosynthesis and, and psychotherapy in general, in large part, not in, not a not completely, but in large part, and also in the Buddhist circles that I was in, um, while imagination is valued and applied, let's say, mm. there isn't a very clear conception or understanding of what imagination is, and that's 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 like really important to wrap your head around. Okay. If you want to be more imaginative, you know, if you want to do anything, you want to know what it is that you're wanting to do yeah. more of. Yeah. But imagination, for whatever reason, it's one of these slippery uh, concepts that seems to glide under the radar and people use it without understanding what it is. So the word just gets thrown out as if that, yeah. this is it, there's an assumption about it. Y exactly. And yeah. then you're left with your assumptions. Yeah, and usually your assumptions are limiting uh -huh. of the experience. Yeah. Um, so therefore, gravel. Um, yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you you kind of went through the the uh, that you you were at the you you did that. Yeah. You did the Buddhist thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I was and still depressed. And you were still depressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so... Long story short, I was still depressed. I was meditating hours every day. Yeah. Um, you got good at that. Yeah, that. I got really good at that. And yeah. I was still depressed. And, and, and so some of my Buddhist friends were into psychosynthesis, particularly um, there's this guy called Attila, or Richard Hooson. And um, so I found out about psychosynthesis. Yeah. And that's... So that was like a sort of... I was intrigued to bring in a sort of Western psychological perspective, because I found I found Buddhism like I mean it's wonderful, um, and I mean it does have a psychology of sorts, mm -hmm. um, but the practice is quite general, like be more mindful, be kinder, um, be ethical, um, and um, I needed something a little. I felt I needed something a little bit more bespoke. <laughs> right, <laughs> to help me understand my particular brand of depression slash anxiety, so I figured that that's what psychotherapy would bring. Uh huh. And 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 psychosynthesis is interesting because it's a sort of fusion of east and west, if you like, in part. Uh, so that was the bridge from the Buddhism to. But I mean, before I got into Buddhism, I just uh, I was training to be a chemical engineer, Greg. Were you? It wasn't me. 
Um, a chemical engineer? Yeah, yeah, I'm a graduate of a chemical engineering degree. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so in, in a parallel life, I was going to be like refining oil and stuff like that or making beer. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, but you see, a bit, a bit, so it's interesting tracing it back. So, because when I was a kid, I was, like I said, I was really interested in literature. Uh, I enjoyed like history class. Um, but of course, being from a sort of first generation middle class family, and my dad was an electrical engineer. So I got pushed towards the sciences because yeah. that was sensible. Um, so I spent most of university, or a lot of it, um, bunking off to the art house movie cinema and, and reading like Herman Hesse and Jack Kerouac oh, and brilliant. George Orwell. And so you had this sort of secret life going on over there. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of us hanging out and, and like, I was even like trying to write novels and like Milan Kunzera, all that kind of sort of stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So that was, so there was a sort of burgeoning. Yeah. Artistic, literary, imaginative side, but I was sort of squeezed into this kind of scientific thing that wasn't me. So I've just managed to sort of break out, break away from yeah. all that over the years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I first met you because I'm a student of psychosynthesis as well, you know, and you were working at the Trust, mm. where we're, we're sat right now. Here we are. And um, on the third floor. You know, and it's, uh, uh, it's certainly an interesting modality, isn't it, to, to uh, uh, well, model or map. To map. Yeah, to, to... Fascinating. Yeah. We could talk about that as well. It's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's, it's um, well, it, it, prior, it, it gives value to the imagination and the body and feelings and thoughts. So it, it's, it's, um, it's not just like all about your feelings, I'm always telling my students. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're trying to bring together all these different ways of being, which is, I think, what imagination does, because imagination encompasses feelings and thoughts and sensations. And sort of joins them up, so it's 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 sort of of a different order. That's yeah. what's intriguing about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and it is interesting in terms of like what you're saying. I think, you know, even especially the foundation year on a psychosynthesis training, it's kind of like a lot of close your eyes, go inside. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, walk up a mountain, mm. find a spiritual being on top of a mountain. Yeah. F have a conversation. Yeah. Um, come out, draw that image, or draw yeah. whatever you see. You know, so so I can see what you're saying in terms of, yeah, it kind of promises to be a creative, imaginative approach. Mm. And I mean, because when I was did the foundation here, like, close your eyes, go inside, find yourself in a meadow. So I spent twenty minutes worrying about what a meadow is <laughs> yeah. you know because i'm from scotland and <laughs> i'd recently just moved down to london and we don't have meadows in scotland no one had ever said to me that's a really gorgeous meadow <laughs> so it's this culturally odd word and i was really busy trying to imagine it properly because it's the implication was it was important to find yourself in a meadow uh-huh um Whereas these days I'm in an interesting position because I've sort of figured out what went wrong there and I'm teaching 
Yeah. And I do present some of these uh, techniques. Um, but for example, I, just, what I, I try and give a sort of loose framework as best as possible. So I would say, breathe yourself into a landscape of imagination. That's much more open, isn't it? It's, it's, it's open and then the, the student or the client will find themselves in a place that's psychologically relevant, culturally relevant to yeah. them. Perhaps a place they've been before, um, which makes it much easier to imagine. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a meadow, it could be like a town. Well, that's the thing. Or well, a well, apparently, the theory goes that uh, if you explore what they call the middle unconscious, you start in a meadow. If you want to explore the higher unconscious, you want to journey up a mountain. And if you want to explore the lower unconscious, you go down into the cave yes. and stay underground. Um, <laughs> which, I'm open to that being... It's very valid, neat. But it seems a bit n too neat to yeah. me. I, I think you just... I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in allowing the spontaneity yeah. of the innate imagination that's bubbling up there all the time yeah. to, to be discovered and interacted with. And that's, that comes back to the decolonizing the imagination. Love it. It's just you, you want to be with the native imagery and come into a relationship as it is. Yeah. The, the, so that's the sort of wild imagination side as opposed to sort of mechanistic. Yeah. So part of the assumption in a lot of therapy is that imagination's a machine. Right, so that's what you talk about Freud in the book and how Freud came up with the kind of uh, metaphor yeah. of the steam engine and that's kind of what it was around, yeah. uh, I yeah, guess, yeah, in yeah. his a day yeah. and age. And yeah, yeah. And that there's this sort of sum of parts that you can overlay onto the kind of human psyche. Exactly, so because I'm living now, not in the early yeah. 20th century, <laughs> yeah. my, his metaphors were like the cutting edge technology was steam engines. Yeah. Whereas these days it's all about like systems theory and deep ecology and complexity theory. And it's, it's a much more joined up um, metaphor yeah. that's out there now. And there's people applying that to psychotherapy, which is really interesting. Because this original sort of psychodynamic paradigm of like, inner objects and um, resistance and pressures and mm. like release of catharsis that's that's uh, that's that's mapped onto thermodynamics or from thermodynamics right so that the psyche is as if a steam engine uh -huh. so it's a container as if the unconscious is like a container as if the yeah the body of an engine so us yeah. as uh, Psychotherapeutic mechanics could could go in there and lift the bonnet and exactly so sort the, so out. The, the so the psychotherapist is, as it were, a me mechanic yeah. that can sort of lift the bonnet up, and then we perhaps isolate the broken down part of the psyche. So that's another thing in that paradigm. It's, it's it's reductive. So you you isolate out a single part image. You strip it away from the relationships, the context within which it exists. So you work with perhaps just one figure, if it's an image perhaps, or you just work with one feeling. But um, an eco kind of system perspective, it's like you're wanting to 
hold it all together all the time. Yeah. Which fits with psychosynthesis. I think yeah. I keep going back. I'm more and more inspired by psychosynthesis as time goes by. Um, well, as a, as a moving map, right? Well, well synthesis yeah. is about... That's what synthesis means. It's right. about bringing together the, the components into an ever-creative, ever-greater whole. So it keeps moving. It keeps it's moving, it's alive, and it's you're bringing it together. It's, he chose synthesis to distinguish it from analysis, and that's the Freudian like breaking things down, simplifying things into their parts. But you kind of kill them by doing that, by locking it down. Well, by separating something out. Yeah. Like, I mean, Asagioli, who invented psychosynthesis, he uses the analogy of the body. So he talks about all the organs, how they work together in a synthesis. And no one part is like the center uh, or in control of the others. Um, and they wouldn't work separate from the others. Mm -hmm. And obviously if you take an organ out of the body, it's gonna die, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's much more of a democratic view than a kind of, yeah, or understanding. Or anarchic, it. yeah. Or anarchic, <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like I like an ecological metaphor. So in the jungle, there are lions, and lions do eat things. Um, so there is prey, and there is uh, the preyed upon, uh, the the hunter and the prey. So it's kind of like I think the psyche as an ecosystem mm. has a wholeness and perhaps a harmony within which there are tensions and conflicts. Gotcha. Right, right. So it's not always a democracy, for sure. It's, uh, no, more not necessarily. Well, you talk about also. You talk about anim animistic, animistic, animistic. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Imagination. Yeah. You yeah, say yeah. Some more about that. Is that yeah, yeah. Well, an animism is, as I understand it, most simply, the attribution of personhood beyond humans. Mm-hmm. So, human beings are persons. They have a subjectivity, they have consciousness, they have awareness. So animism sees personhood, which is to say consciousness, intention, awareness, in rivers, mountains, uh -huh. trees, animals, puppies, flowers. Yeah. Um, and in the book, um, I talk about different sort of like characteristics of what imaginative experience gives you or is and then if you know what to look for you can enhance that and I think imagination is inherently animistic so for example when you read a novel going back to that again mm. what is a novel it's wood pulp it's ink on a page it's a dead object if you like in mm -hmm. and yet as you cast your eyes yeah. on the page you hear voices, you, you, you find See yourself pictures. in the room with people, yeah. you go on a journey into a land. Same with cinema screens, they're just like screens, just, just lights. But it's imagination that brings it alive. Yeah. Like all the Zoom calls that we did in lockdown, it's just pixels on a screen. It's just like stuff that's been dug out of the ground. And there's little postage stamps of people in all the Zoom calls that we did. Yeah. It's your imagination that turns that into a person. Yeah. It's your imagination that allows you to conceive of those lights and sounds as a living being. Um, huh. And that's like, 
like the example in the book that I give it is the Van Gogh painting. So I describe looking at the Van Gogh painting and the bedroom. And um, even though there's nobody in the p depicted in the painting, apart from a couple of portraits on the wall in the bedroom, um, you can't but not think about whose bedroom it is. Right. Right, and right. When he's coming back, or like, yeah, yeah. What's it like for him to be there? So it's like, I think there's something. It invites something, yeah. yeah. And the the other thing is that we're trying to get back to the, I think that's innate and it's there in childhood. So that in terms of like losing my imagination, I think that's just a sort of an inevitable thing that happens growing up in our culture, in our society. Children have vivid imaginations, mm -hmm. partly because they're really embodied and spend a lot of time running around outside and getting muddy and stuff and sweaty and stuff. And and also they, um, yeah, they just they've not been told that it's silly to think that the goldfish is cold or something. It's so or sad. Difficult watching. I've got a son who's fifteen. You know. And um, I suppose it's watching that moment where it's not cool to have that type of imagination anymore. I mean, I must say it's, it's like peer pressure type thing. Peer pressure type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like there's a mo there's a, there is definitely, I really resonate with what you're saying. It's a kind of like, yeah, that beautiful joyfulness of childhood, the naivety, the innocence of imagination that's allowed mm. somehow. And then whether it's kind of, knocked out by peer pressure or adults or whatever kind of like come on but get with consensus reality you know it's um and then it's all about like what you look like or what trainers you got or <laughs> stuff <laughs> stuff yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah yeah you know but then mm. you know not to say that i i still see now like you know he wants to be an actor so it's kind of like okay wants to follow you know in my footsteps yeah, yeah. kind of thing yeah. you know and it's like well I'm relieved by that because <laughs> yeah. it's like that's a whole world of yeah. beautiful imagination that's like yeah. a, a great art that you're allowed yeah. to step into another character's shoes and imagine the world that you're in, in on stage in that moment you know yeah but um but yeah so yeah it's it's a kind of you yeah have to fight to keep it and protect it yeah yeah I mean you sort of see it don't you and sort of maybe um I've got friends who've sent their kids to like Steiner schools. Oh yeah. And they, they uh, there's a whole thing in the Steiner education system where, you know, technology, you don't, in fact, you don't even give them books until they're like seven or older, something oh like yeah. that, yeah. to keep their, this kind of imagination thing yeah. alive. But yeah. I think, I mean, again, like with anything, any map or model, yeah. as soon as it becomes a sort of doctrine or, or rule. Well, certainly protecting people from technology, I think like, yeah, the internet's got a lot to answer for. Uh huh. It fragments our attention. It 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 makes us alienated. We move away from being embodied. And um, uh huh. You need and 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 you need time. You need patient attention, and you need embodiment. You need sensory experience to be imaginative, and all of that gets stripped away. Yeah. If you're scrolling through a phone for several hours. Well, I think I agree. I mean, I think it's something about the n the n uh, not the need but the kind of rush to yeah it's manic yeah to like yeah. ingest information you, you want it's cut to happen fast i mean you need to take time 
It's like in art galleries, like I watch people. Yeah. I've done it myself, so I'm not like shaming anyone, but it takes time to get into a painting, right? Yeah. You know, you've got to look at the painting. That's why you've gone to the art gallery, presumably. Yeah. But what I used to do, and what I see a lot of people doing, is they, they give, maybe give 30 seconds to the painting. And then they're like, yeah. And then they spend more time reading the blurb about the painting. Very often. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they know what it means. And they, they know, <laughs> well, they have an idea about <laughs> it. And, and, uh, but it's not touching you, and that's not moving. That's presumably not why, it's not why I went to art galleries to find out about the, the biography of Constable or whatever. And that's the big distinction between thinking and imagining. It's like ideas and images um, it's like it's, it's that's the big thing that gets in the way it's like we're we're really in a rush when you wake up in the morning you've had yeah. a dream and you're like what does that mean and you want to boil it down into an idea so th that's another question I've got for you then so I was talking to someone yesterday a good friend about um, she's a dream tender a dream tender. Wow, yeah. that's a great. Do you get paid for that? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah and um, a dream tender. and I think you've like you've just sort of named something in terms of like we wake up in the morning yeah. and we're busy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I'm very much, uh, uh, you know, I try and I keep my phone in a different room and. But I, I find myself going to the other room then yes. when I wake up and have yes. a look and what's going on and blah, blah, yes. blah. Yeah. But in that way, I wonder if it's having an effect on my sort of dream. I mean, because you've written a book called Waking Dreams. What's your, what's your um, uh, view on sleeping dreams? <laughs> I mean, well, do you have a... Well, they're different. Um, they are different. Because in a sleeping dream, unless it's a lucid dream, but that's rare and that's like another topic but it's like sleeping dream you're entirely convinced by the surroundings and you're you're there as a sort of single consciousness in the dream state yeah. and it's real you don't know you're dreaming yeah um a waking dream on the other hand or a, d a daydream also when you drift off into a daydream yeah and you don't know you're dreaming so it can happen when you're sleeping or when you're daydreaming and you're just in this kind of like dreamy space. You don't know it's happening. A waking dream is where you're both in the dreamscape and you're aware that you're dreaming, which happens spontaneously, naturally, occasionally. Most people will have had fleeting experiences if they remember of lying in bed in the morning it can also happen when you're falling asleep and you, you're aware of being in a dreamscape and you know you're safely tucked up in bed at the same time so is, it, is that, that the hypnagogic state yeah, you're yeah, talking about yeah. in the book yeah so the hypnagogic state is this overlap of a, a physical reality like being in bed for example yeah with uh, an imagined reality so the dreamscape um, is there a connection do you think I mean, because the, uh, the what I found interesting was that because um, I've been reading your book, obviously, and then I was talking to her, asking sort of her the same questions. W you know, something about interpretation. Mm -hmm. So I know that you talk about um, not rushing to interpretation in a waking dream. You know, it's actually like yeah. let's keep it open. 
let's yeah. keep yeah. the keep it open yeah and you know she was very much talking about the same with dream, uh, sleeping dreams right yes, yes, yes. yeah yes so it's kind of um the, the the temptation is to wake up and kind of go oh well that was well that, i know what that meant that means that i'm feel anxious because i'm running out of money i've got you know i was dreaming i was in a dentist having my teeth pulled out and it's all a bit too obvious again i suppose to, to go to the interpretations yeah i i tend to avoid them completely interpretations yeah yeah, yeah. do you yeah. yeah i'm not interested anymore <laughs> wow god that's such a free space to be in because i suppose even as a th psychotherapist mm. what a temptation huh well, I'll tell you what I do do that, that might, you might think it's similar, but it's, it's, it's different and it's a key difference. So, absolutely, when you're, if you want to have a waking dream, you can't interpret them while you're having them. Right. Because it relies upon being in this hypnagogic state. So, while they happen spontaneously, waking dream practice, <coughs> waking dream practice is about learning the skills to recreate that space. And that allows you to explore the dreamscape at will, basically, for longer periods of time. Uh -huh. um, which allows you, as we were talking about earlier, to get in touch with that spontaneous imagery that's, that's not implanted by some kind of template from a book or something, uh -huh. like a meadow, yeah. but it's just there. Let so you come up what come, what's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you find yourself in the bread section in Tesco's, Instead of a meadow. Yeah. Right, trust that's, it. That's, you just trust that. You know, it's not like Walt Disney Dolphins or something. It's the bread section in Tesco's. Trust that. Focus in on that and see what happens. See yeah. who appears and how you interact. And So while that's happening, you, 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 you will have thoughts. You'll be like, I wonder what's around the corner of the bread aisle. They're thoughts from within the image, within the process. But you, if you have an analytical thought, I call it, like an interpretive thought, like from outside the process, it takes you outside the dream because you'd be like, why am I in Tesco's? Mm. What does Tesco's mean? Those kind of thoughts, which are interpretations, or the answers to them would be, uh, it, it takes you outside. It's kind of like you're watching a movie and you're, you've got a little light pen and you're, you're doing a review as you watch the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're not going to have a satisfying experience. Or someone sat next to you going, "Why are they doing that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's oh, that's so like Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like you, you're you, you, the suspension of disbelief and the immersive experience. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, it's not there for you. So certainly, you're not doing interpretations during the experience. You want to have an imaginative experience, but then you wake up from a sleeping dream and/or you finish a waking dream. Now, I could talk to you about why that's healing and transformative in and of itself, and you could just leave it there. But there is further to go. And what I do is, because it's the spontaneous imagery, this is the thing, this is the exciting thing. Yeah. This is the magic of psyche in the world. So the imagery that you find in a waking dream, or indeed a sleeping dream, is not random. It is reflective of your current psychological life and also the activity of images that you find yourself in in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And that's the subtitle, subtitle of the book, Imagination is Psychotherapy in Everyday Life. So mm -hmm. 
Images are not just in your mind when you close your eyes. Images are all around us all the time. So a broad definition of imagination is one that weaves it into perception. So how you, how you imagine the world, the story that you tell yourself about the world and yourself as a character in that world is an image and an imagining. And what I'm doing instead of interpreting in my work is looking for the parallel imagery. So if somebody meets a dragon in a waking dream or a sleeping dream, they're not going to find a dragon behind the garden shed when they wake up or go home from therapy. But the question is, who is the dragon in your everyday life? Yeah. And you can refine that, and, and, and it's really interesting. And then, and then it's like you're not explaining why there's a dragon-like person, which would be what an interpretation is. It gives you a causal explanation. What you're doing is you're helping somebody to notice, yeah. be with, experience, relate to, participate in, and possibly change, transform Beautiful. their the, the relationship to the dragon. That is exciting. That is exciting. I mean, I, I, you know, I suppose I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think the link you're making is to the fractal. Yeah. To looking at the fractal um, imagination. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, there's pat, there's this kind of pattern that's going right the way through, on every level, which is kind of quite psychedelic as well. Actually, you know, it's kind of an area it's I'm very interested psychedelic. in. Psychedelic. <laughs> that's your bag. Yeah. Because you know, it's like well, it's a, yeah, it's like that sort of thing. If you have yeah, if, you, if there's a theme coming through in your life, then why is it just coming through randomly in one aspect of your life? Well, it's yeah, it won't be, exactly. No. Exactly. So it's like shining a light almost into a kind of prism. Yeah. And it's coming out everywhere. I mean, that's, I mean, that's there in how I was trained as a psychotherapist. It's about looking for patterns. Patterns, yeah. Um, and I always remember there's a great line, Angie Fee, who taught me, she said... Um, how you do sex is how you do the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've read that. And I use that line in the book. And you it's do, like, yeah. And then I think the line after that is, that pulled the covers on my sex life. <laughs> uh, so it's like, so it's like, and, but it's like how you do the shopping is how you do the rest of your life. Or like how you do your emails is how you do the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like how you um, get up in the morning is how you do the rest of your day. And it's, it's if you get to see that, template if you like it's kind of like we're a stick of rock it's like you know Blackpool Seaside Rock or you live in Brighton like Brighton Rock it's like <laughs> it's yeah. like no matter where you slice it you see the same Brighton pattern yeah um, so that's what a fractal is a fractal is, a fractal is a, a any image where if you focus in on a part of the image you see the same shape yeah. as the whole image the bigger image um, like Russian dolls. Or oh, yeah, or like I absolutely love yeah. that because that, that actually brings, I mean, because, you know, one of the things I suppose while I was reading a book was like, oh my God, there's like so much to learn here, the steps, hmm. you know, and, it, and, and, and obviously there's probably a bit of unlearning to do hmm. As, hmm. A, as a psychotherapist if you're going to work in this way hmm. because, you know, yeah. we have, like we were talking about children, we've been taught to think about imagination in a certain way. Yeah, turn it into an idea. What does it mean? Yeah, so I mean it's it, it is a. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you can recognise, see, images are not often worked with as images. 
they're taken as representations for meaning elsewhere. Yeah. So we, 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 we study the image for a little while, but then we want to know what feeling it represents or what historical event it represents. Yeah. Uh, what belief system it represents so it's, it's it's a sort of symbol that points elsewhere whereas working with images as images you stay with the image uh, without yeah. turning it into something else well there's a there's a um, there's a quote in your book I think a James Hillman quote that kind of speaks to that right that's kind of around you forsake the image or something yeah and it's kind of like this idea that I suppose even the language in psychosynthesis is a bit like subpersonalities. Yeah. So you, 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 the the idea that you go in, you meet this this subpersonality that's like maybe a sort of wounded child or something mm. like this, and mm. or a wounded part of yourself, and then if you take it up the mountain, and it will change and become, mm. you know, rather than actually, what if it's just like a horse with a penis on its head or a kind of strange, odd animal that. Why do you have to make it a heteronormative <laughs> person without a penis on its head? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Kind of so is, it, is it a distortion of a transpersonal quality or is it actually wonderful and trying to communicate something to you? Yeah. I mean, that's always the tension there in that kind of work. It's like, who's trying to change who and why? And it's yeah. being, being yeah. sensitive to that. So it's back to the colonization. Back to the colonization. If, yeah. if you're trying to like convert all these characters that you meet, why are you doing that? Yeah, and I guess that's it, to isn't it? It's purpose? like the we have to be careful that the as psychotherapists, but also as human beings, is like to, and I suppose that's kind of why we're in pretty much the mess we're in as a as a human race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 we're sort of. The ego-centric, you know, it's like, yeah, we're right at the center of this. It's about us and what we do and how we are. And I, it sounds like what you're doing is kind of that with the eco... Well, I'm trying to de-center. De-center. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think that's, that's a fun word, um, which might seem strange because often we want to be centered. Well, individualistic as well. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But then that, you know, that can exacerbate narcissism, can't yeah. it? Yeah. That's the danger. So it's kind of like, I was just thinking as you are talking about, um, like travel, like an analogy to travel. It's like, do you want to travel and like live with the Bedouin in their yurts and like eat their food and be in the desert with the camels? Or do you want to travel and just like, go to McDonald's and Subway and have the same food as you have at home. And, and like, it's like psychologically, do we want to go on a journey into the unknown? Do we want to like have a creative experience? A creative experience, which is usually a transformative one, involves encountering the unknown. Yeah. If you're too clear on what you want to do when you set off, it's not a creative journey. Yes. And you're sort of astroturfing the psyche because you're trying to banish the the characters, the forces that seem to cause you in your kind of like McDonald's head, kind of yeah. normie life trouble. 
but that just creates more neurosis, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. It, it sort of reminded me of um, the idea of pilgrimage, uh, you uh. know, and actually that um, uh, there was an interesting pilgrimage uh, that these kind of guys came up with um, that went from the, the, the CERN Abbas giant to the center of uh, CERN, the, the, the big uh, Hadron Collider. Uh-huh. So it's like from the big hard on to the big hadron. That was their, <laughs> that was their, their sort of journey. Okay. And, and um, they it's kept like a modern day pilgrimage. Sorry? A modern day pilgrimage. Modern day pilgrimage, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But their, their sort of um, mantra was like, um, they kept asking themselves, why are we doing this? <laughs> and, then, and, then they, and then their answer was like, well, if we knew why, we wouldn't be doing it. Cool. <laughs> you cool. know, and it's sort cool. of, I think that sort of comes from, yeah. stems from like the KLF. That was always their yeah. mantra, like, if we knew why, we wouldn't be doing it. Uh, and, it's, and it's such a brilliant artistic phrase, and it's, it just, I think it just resonates with what you're saying. I think it's, it's like um, mystery, wonder, and awe. Yeah. I want to have more of that. Yeah. Uh, and life is mysterious, and it can be wonderful and full of awe. Um, that's scary as well. Yeah, but that's... And that's the payoff. I mean, but... And, and there's a, an inevitable amount of anxiety if you want to open up to the mystery. And be alive. And be alive, exactly. But you can make that anxiety a lot worse by trying to, like, nail it down, Absolutely. the mystery. So, so, they're not, so they're not knowing can really freak you out because you're sort of putting the brakes on all the time or something but it's like if you accept that there's an inevitable level of anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen yeah. ultimately you're going to die I suppose you know that's a big mystery you know that you know that but you but don't know what's on the side of that <laughs> where and why it's like <laughs> so it's like what's your for me it's like what's my uh, attitude to that what's my what's, how do I participate in that mystery that's that's, and that's the kind of attitude I'm bringing to the waking dreams. It's like, yeah. you know, like I don't know. It's fun to sit there as a psychotherapist and not know where it's going to go. It's like, you know, it's like and to trust that because it'll go somewhere. Yeah. If you've got experience, you know it'll go somewhere, but you don't know. And to not inadvertently misdirect it. Yeah. So I say to. Um, my students when I'm teaching it's like you do have an agenda as a psychotherapist because um, there's there's a sort of like and we talk about assumptions it's like one of the assumptions is you follow the client yes oh uh, my god and 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 I'm like well what are you bringing it's not very collaborative if you just following the client because yeah. then they just go where they went before um so there's a hesitation to have an agenda. There's a hesitation to sort of step in. So it seems to me that my job as a psychotherapist is to create the process conditions that allow something to unfold. Nice. As opposed to having an outcome agenda of where I think it should go. Yeah. I mean, obviously I've got an, a broad idea. I know that an acorn's going to grow into an oak tree but I don't know how high or how many branches or, yeah, or yeah. How, what style of tree it's going to be like. So I create the conditions psychologically for a person to grow 
and nice. and they'll grow whichever way and th- that's that's what I'm interested in doing and that's why there's a process emphasis in the book and and I talk about imagination as a process because as soon as it becomes like a content that you're outside of and you're looking back on it's kind of like you've killed it it's kind of like a butterfly in one of those Victorian cases yeah pinned, pinned it down pinned to the velvet yeah and you can look at it through the magnifying glass I but you want to walk through the the the, the meadow <laughs> uh. with the butterflies <laughs> you know not catching them, but li- like living with them. Yeah, or yeah. noticing the different types of bread on the shelf. Yeah. In the in the supermarket. Yes, yes, yes. In Tesco's, yeah. Yeah. Good old Tesco's. God, no. I mean, it's so good to hear. So refreshing, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've been teaching this afternoon, and mm. you know, it sort of feels like the, the 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 best you can hope for to give is like you know, be try and be free with yourself as a therapist. You know, yeah. don't. Yeah. You don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you go in there with this kind of like, um, I mean, clients come in, don't they? Kind of hoping that you're going to collude with them in terms of like, here's this, here's this carrot, yeah. here's the stick. Now let's aim towards that. Let's keep going, and we'll get there one day. And you both end up pretty f- frustrated, to be honest. Oh, that's a lot of pressure to put so yourself under. Pressure, <laughs> and it doesn't oh usually God. end up like that. And it's and it yeah. becomes pretty yeah. boring as well because yeah. it's like what we're just doing this the whole time and then yeah. and then I think burnout probably comes from that as well yeah. Um, yeah. yeah 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 whereas when when I imagine part of what you do is like creating that um, environment for people to grow into the tree they need to grow into yeah is 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 exploring that it's kind of getting away from what yeah, um, not, to, not to be too quick to buy into the assumptions of what yeah. they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause Don't usually, buy into their assumptions. Because usually themselves. they want to colonise the psyche and... Or, like, lobotomise themselves, like, get rid of yeah. feelings. The wildness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's fun or the other way. What's your yeah. sort of concept of the unconscious, then? Is, it, is this the same uh, thing? Um... um well, my concept of the unconscious is that it's an idea invented by Freud to uh, talk about the psyche. Um, the psyche itself is a mystery. It's certainly not a thing that you can point to in measure and weigh. So, um, what we call the psyche, I mean, we could get into that, but it's like, you have to come up with metaphors, you have to come up with labels. Um, he did start out, I think, with ecological metaphors, but he ended up with these quite sort of abstract nouns, like the unconscious, the id, mm. the superego. Um, it does have a lot of explanatory power. I mean, people get quite excited by the idea of the unconscious, and you know, it has its uses. Um, The danger is that through overuse and familiarity and an absence of alternative ways of wondering about the psyche, you can end up thinking that the unconscious is an actual thing, (laughs) (laughs) like a place um, within which resides all the psychological material that you've split off or repressed or something, as if it's like fricking there, sort of off stage waiting to come on. (laughs) Um, I don't think it is. No? 
No, I don't think it is. I, that's a story that we tell ourselves, and that's yeah. fine. I think I've bought into that a little bit, actually. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's very common. Um, like the shadow, the same thing. It's like yeah. all, all, this, all these bits that we've you, don't it, like about ourselves. The anger that you don't like, it's in the unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's wanting to come back in. That's a story. Yeah. It's an imagining. It's a way to imagine and understand ourselves and make meaning. But I don't take it at all literally. And... and because um, while it reveals things, it also conceals things. So all metaphors partly reveal something. So it's, it's as if uh, a steam engine, right? So the psyche is a little bit like a steam engine, mm. you know? It has these parts, has these forces and pressures. Um, but it's also quite a lot not like a steam engine. So we need to have other metaphors which bring in other aspects so so what what the unconscious conceals the idea that it's all there anyway it just needs to be sort of excavated and brought into consciousness this repressed material like it's a sort of pressure release valve or something yeah um nothing new is created all you're really doing is sort of moving the furniture around uh-huh um And and you and you and you get into like ideas like resistance, and 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 push and pull pressures, um, whereas it seems to me that something is created psychologically in our work in our lives, whatever we're doing. You don't need to do therapy. I mean, um, and for me, the idea of the unconscious doesn't necessarily help me understand how something's created. So like if I make a loaf of bread, you mix together flour, water, yeast, you put it in the oven. The loaf of bread did not exist. Before that. Ah, Before see, that. Yeah. It, it came into being as a result of bringing together those ingredients and putting them under some kind of like heat, basically. Um, so that's a kind of ecological sort of system theory, complexity theory, mm. understanding of change. It's like what we're doing is if we bring together more and more elements and, and increase the complexity and hold the tension of them being together, um, spontaneous emergence happens and, and the system can evolve into a, a new form, nice. a new expression which wasn't there before, it's a qualitative change. So it hasn't necessarily come from the unconscious, it's just a, something that's grown from, or expanded from yeah. whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. It's appeared. Yeah. yeah. So it's not... Potential. So, I mean, you could, you could explain it as it's come from the unconscious, but you don't need to. Right, right, you don't need yeah. to, okay. Yeah. I suppose that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So to give it a word, yeah, where's it come from, the nothing? Yeah, well, it's just, it's just, it's emerged from, it's not from nothing, but from what was there before, and it's changed. Um, like another example I use is like walking. So it's like, if you've got one leg, unfortunately, you can hop, you know, and that's fine, you can get around. Um, but then if you bring another leg in, that's not just like a stronger hop, that's like a qualitative development walking is a lot better than hopping and so the, the the phrase that everyone knows is like this the the sum is great the, the whole is greater than some of the parts mm. 
So it's like by bringing together two legs, you create a more complex system, which is a qualitative shift, um, which allows uh, complexity and, and freedom and expression. So, yeah. um, so for me, that's synthesis again. So psychosynthesis. Right. <coughs> so, so it's like telios. Yeah, it's where you're going. Yeah, where are you heading? Where, where are you going? Towards? And like, where are you growing towards? And like, the oak tree didn't exist in the unconscious either. So <laughs> it, right. it it grew, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about language. It's about metaphors and not taking them literally. Uh huh. And when you were talking, you were talking about emergence. Yeah. I mean, it might be. I'm sort of I'm jumping around all over your book at the moment, but cool. it's sort of. Um, you go, you get into the edge of chaos. Yes. You talk about the edge of chaos. So, and and so this is the synthesis unpredictability, which is the which is basically the edge of chaos. So it's that. I mean, that kind of reminds me of, um, well, of what you were just saying as well in terms of like li- living with the knowledge of the unknown is quite scary. Is that what you, so is that what you mean? It's the kind of... The, the edge of chaos. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly uncertainty in there. And it, you, 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 you're, you're, it's about... Well, you're expecting the unexpected, if you like. I mean, that's, that's as far as you can go. Yeah. Um, so the edge of chaos exists between um, chaos, on the one hand, um, and uh, sort of stasis or rigidity, on the other hand. Yeah. So if, if things are too rigid, too fixed, stuck, there's no movement, there's no freedom for anything new to happen. Equally, if things are like too chaotic and there's no cohesion at all, then it's difficult to create something new. So it's like in between that, you're looking for a sort of sweet spot. Yes. So it's like we talk in therapy about um, safety. You need to create safety for the client. And it's on every every counsellor's website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We create a safe place. Safe space. Yeah, but nothing will happen if it's a safe place. I know, place. I know. <laughs> it's like it needs to be a bit more edgy and a bit... Da- like, it's going to be... Yeah. It'll be safe, of course. It's a bit like, look, we're sitting around a campfire, you know, having a cup of hot chocolate. Yeah. And we can, you know, that's Well, fine. I think you need to begin there. So yeah, fair enough, there, yeah. people put that on their websites. You yeah. need to begin the journey whether it's a waking dream or a series of therapy sessions, you need to, you set off from home if you like. Yes, yes, yeah. You don't begin at the high point the f- of drama. No, no, no. So that's, so this, that's, yeah, so we're not going to like be in the trauma forest no. from, the, from day one. Like the grail quest begins in the stable, if you like, at the back of the castle and you know everyone. <laughs> yeah. And then you like ride for three months yeah. And then you fight somebody or something. Yeah, and we, so, might, and we can always come back. And you can always come back. We can sort of, exactly. like, yeah, back straight away. Oh, look, here we are yeah. again, around the fire. It's so fine. it's like, the safety's like, this, the, but then, if it's just safe, you're not letting anything, anything new in, you're not exploring the unknown, you're not being with the anxiety that comes up when you touch on the mystery. Um, so we begin there, but we m- move away from that. But we're not wanting to create overwhelm and tip into chaos. So that's the skill. It's like, how do you yeah. create the conditions where you're in between uh, stasis and chaos? Yeah. And that's, and that for me, that focuses in on what produces change. You're cre- again, you're creating the process conditions that 
facilitate change as opposed to have, having some kind of stage model of developmental steps that people need to work through um, in sequence. Mm -hmm. um, it, it simplifies all that and, and, and sort of radicalizes it. You get to the roots of like how change happens. Yeah, yeah nice. It yeah. reminds me of a Bowie quote in terms of like from the the, uh, the artistic, you know, lens uh -huh. would be that actually you always need to be slightly out of your depth. Nice. Because if you're within your depth, that's not where of the art. That's not where the the art happens. Yeah. But also, you don't want to be like floating out at sea, panicking. So yeah. you need to. Yeah. I think I think coming back to novel reading, I think. I think novel reading is like where I build up my imaginative muscles if you like to tolerate being out of my depth a little bit tolerate being out of your depth because I think what, um, what novel reading or whatever your practice is you, you need to have the ability to risk imagining alternatives to what you normally imagine because yeah. like neurosis, anxiety, depression it's just about s seeing the world and yourself in the same goddamn way over and over again and really drilling down into that and getting stuck in some pretty unhelpful loops yeah. that make you kind of paranoid or whatever or addicted or whatever uh, whereas like imagination is the ability to step out of your depth a little bit and begin to see an alternative so I talk about creating an imaginal space and that's like the gap between what's habitual and repetitive and new possibilities yeah. of how you could be and it's like trying to create that imaginal space do you mean trying to create that as a therapist within a waking dream whether you're doing that on your own or if you're like reading a novel or in sort of any kind of artistic practice like visiting an art gallery certainly as a therapist the consulting room is to create an imaginal space, a sort of playful, imaginative space. Because mm. um, as soon as you make the story that's habitual into a story, it becomes provisional, right? It's like not the one truth anymore. Yeah. And that creates the possibility that there might be another way of imagining things. Yeah. And that's... So you're I'm always trying to hover around that. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I I I uh, I think I always find it through acting. Yeah, yeah. And improvisation. Oh wow, cool. And being able to, you know, it scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's like you just jump into the space and jump into the see space. See what happens. And the only rule is let's all be kind to each other, and kind of uh, say yes and. <sighs> you know, so it's the sort of sense of which is a bit like science fiction, really, isn't it? It's a bit like. Oh yes, and this happened as well, and oh yes, and this, you know, rather than kind of keep shutting it down, like oh well, uh, no, uh. what do you mean? You know, you don't get, go onto stage as an improviser and say, um, uh. you know, like oh, do you like my dog? That's not a dog. Yeah. You know. You well, that's the analytical thing, shutting it down yeah. again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so if you can keep with yeah. the, but the, but the, you know, I notice myself in an acting class or whatever, uh. I'll be they'll give us a scenario and already before I've even stepped on the stage my mind has kind of gone oh right you're this character and you're doing this and then that's your th thing and I go no 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 burn it down burn it and 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 it's you know the temptation is to pre write the story to make it funny or to make uh, yourself feel safe from the outside in kind of yeah. you're doing it from the inside out 
Well then, but then mm. if you if you can just get onto stage and just mm. trust, and then I'm this character, you know, mm. it's much more likely to, you know, to bring aliveness to whatever the scene is. See, that's great. That's quite exciting because I think I think acting is a sort of paradigm. It's almost like a pristine paradigm of all this work with imagination. Um, because I mean, I see all this work. I see therapies like helping people to realize the character that they're playing yeah. in the story that is their life. Yeah. And yeah. helping them to begin to retell that story or reimagine who they are, what different roles they could play. Um, and how people shape shift, I call it. Shape shift, I wanted is, to ask you about the that. Thing. Like, how do you actually step into another? way of being because yeah. you can't do it consciously I don't think I think that's what you're saying when you when you step on the stage and you're like I've got the script I've and got I'm, it I know my character's name and that's this very sort of conscious yeah it's wanting to it's wanting to uh, aim for safety right. which I guess uh, being a human being with a personality with we tend to do don't we understandable yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like oh 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 maybe I fit well, I suppose the other thing I always see, I kind of, I've worked a lot with Stacey Millerchamp. Yeah, yeah. She, she talks about know. cult yeah. cults, you know. She published my book. She God published your book. God bless her. Thank right, you, Stacey. Transpersonal Press. <laughs> Transpersonal Press, yeah. shout out. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's the, um, this whole idea that we're in many different cults. and You know, we're in one in our head, we're in a society cult, we're in a kind of uh, global cult. And, it, and, and actually... It's something about daring or realizing, first of all, you're in one, mm. you know, because mm. everything that we've been conditioned from our families, yeah, through to society, whatever, colonized in a cult, yeah, Col yeah, colonized, yeah, exactly, yeah. conditioned, yeah, yeah, mm. and it's kind of ends up with, um, I don't know, fancy trainers and beige food, I don't know, yeah. in some, do you know what I mean? Everything becomes like homogenized, yeah. And yeah. so to have an imagination yeah. or to work in the imaginal space yeah. or as an artist or as a human being takes a little bit of scary edge of chaos work. God, that's true about the beigeness. That's really landed with me. Like, everything's like, <laughs> oh, processed food. That's scary. <laughs> I'm, much, I'm always worried when I realise, oh my God, I'm just... All my food's gone beige. <laughs> I need some colour. <laughs> but like culturally, like like they keep churning out like like they're just trying to do another Game of Thrones or something. It's yeah. like hardly anyone risks a new movie. It's like they're just trying to remake the old movie yeah. again. You know, it's like it's, it seems like less less risky. It's yeah. Like, Did you ever watch a series called The OA? Don't know that one, no. Oh, my God. It was this beautiful, beautiful Netflix series that was about, I mean, a, a very qu quickly, you know, mm. it, was a, it was about interdimensional travel through a group of people learning different moves. Mm. And if they could all come together and learn these moves, then they could suddenly find themselves in a different dimension, themselves in a different dimension. Mm. And they cancelled it after the second series because <laughs> uh, they weren't getting the few years they weren't getting the viewers and it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. oh no this is this beautiful yeah, out yeah, there yeah. series it was too different it's just too different they want the reliance of this work before so we'll get the views yeah, yeah. people will understand it because they like this That's let's sad. get zombies it's a bit sad let's get zombies yeah, yeah, yeah. walking you know endless James Bond and zombie movies <laughs> yeah 
So, yeah. The shape-shifting thing. Shape-shifting. Is, it's just a fun word, right? Shape-shifting. Yeah. I mean, don't you want to shape-shift? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's just, um, I got that from um, David Abram. He's a big influence on me. He's, he's like, a... He's, he's a, it's difficult to say what he is exactly. He, I think he calls himself a cultural ecologist. Uh-huh. He's also a sleight-of-hand magician and a bit of an anthropologist. Oh. Um, he's written a couple of books, The Spell of the Sensuous and Becoming Animal. But there's a chapter in Becoming Animal called Shapeshifting. And I was reading that and I thought, that's what we're doing. Because in therapy lines, you talk about um, uh, imaginal identification. Yeah. So you... you uh, in in this territory that I'm exploring, like image-based work, one of the moves is enter into and become the dragon, uh, or go and sit in the chair and become your granny or something, and yeah. look through the eyes of your granny and feel like your granny, think like your granny, or crawl around on the floor as a dragon. Um, <laughs> and that does happen spontaneously like I was doing a waking dream with a client the other day and um, I think I can share this. I try not to give away any telling details, but we were in a scene and he was describing a couple of characters in the scene. So he was kind of like an observer watching the scene and I was just creating the conditions and asking him to describe what was happening basically. And um which is the steps you can learn about in the book. Yeah. And um, and then what happened was I realized that he was talking from the point of view of one of the characters. And I hadn't in, it suggested he did that. He'd, got, he'd just gone in. It just happened. Mm. And he started to describe the scene from the point of view of one of the characters. Nice. So... Luckily, I knew that shapeshifting was a possibility, so I didn't like muck it up by saying, oh, now you've become the character. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what that's like, because that would have created a sort of self-consciousness. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so I have. Oh, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, you just, you just want to go with it. And, so you're um, speaking from I. And then um, just help them to describe the experience from... That point of view. So I wasn't saying, for example, um, so now as this character, or or worse, now as that <laughs> part of you, which are sort of analytical terms. So I, I strip all that abstract language out. You just use everyday language, which keeps people in the experience. Um, but that that was that was that was a lovely example of it just happening spontaneously. Because yeah. I think you can't change identity consciously. This is where I've got to. It's often, I mean, we, we do do it sometimes as therapists within these techniques, and sometimes it works. And I think that's because people are quite, they're like on the edge of doing it anyway. Yeah. But often it doesn't work, and I think it creates a weird kind of sense in the client because they feel like they have to make it up. Yeah. And they come, and what, they, what you get is a sort of hypothetical story of what they think it would be like to be a witch or their granny or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting, but not really what you're after. No. 
I mean, also that's so yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, um, I suppose the other part of it is to think about it in a collaborative way. You're shape shifting as a therapist within that relationship as well. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. What's Who mean. are you? Who are, how are you being dreamed up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. And that's that's again that's what can get kind of colonized through rules of what rules of engagement as a therapist <laughs> is that oh yeah as long as you're safe and as long as you're this beige, beige. <laughs> as long as you sit and nod and say how did you feel every now and then then you'll yeah. be fine yeah you know yeah. but don't don't dare to um, don't go with anything spontaneous yeah or that you don't understand or that seems a bit like mad or crazy yeah yeah so it's kind of that's the wild therapy there's the great wild, therapy, wild therapy by nick totten check it out he's yeah. he's really good on all this so what's next for you i mean it's a w- cool. wonderful book and you must have been you, you're running workshops on it i'm sure and i am working on the next book good which i'm doing very slowly yeah um I'm trying not to put too much pressure on myself because the, the, the work writing this book was like a two-year project Yeah. nearly every morning. Um, that's your process? That's what I did. That's I just cleared the decks in the mornings and wrote nearly every day for two years. Yeah. It took a while. I mean, I'd written, I had the material and I'd... Because you've been, worked. that was your dissertation for your psychotherapy. It was based on a dissertation yeah. and also a lot of teaching that I'd done Yeah. and other things that I'd written. So but I don't want to lock myself into writing every morning for two no, no, years no, no, again. No, no. No, no. But I'm working on a, the book, Wild Reading, How Fiction Sets Imagination Free. Oh, is that what it, that's the title? That's one of title. them. And then the other one, because it's good to have two projects. Because <laughs> <laughs> you get bored with one and then you move to the you other can one. You just sort of move between. The, the other one seems to be turning into a book on psychosynthesis. And the title at the moment is A Time Between Stories. And then the subtitle is the imagination, creativity, and play of psychosynthesis. Beautiful. So I'm, doing that, so I'm doing that and um, teaching here at the Psychosynthesis Trust, which I love, uh, always learn, and it's great to participate with the students. And I am, yeah, I'm teaching a course based on the book, like an online course, like 10 evenings. Yeah. That's really cool because I'm on. I'm about to start the third cohort. So every six months or so, we do another round. And two things about that: like teaching the, like writing the books, one thing, and that was based on stuff I'd done before. But then, as you talk about the book to people, it, it evolves and develops. So that's really cool. And then, I've also got a little community of like waking dreamer people now. Have you? Who have done my course? Great. And we meet once a month online. Great. And that's that's the magic because then they've they've read the book, they've done the course, they're doing it themselves, and we're just jazzing away and and like learning off each other. Yeah. Um. So I guess what's next is keeping on learning. I guess staying at the edge of chaos. Staying in the edge of chaos <laughs> and and reading more novels. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Really good. To yeah, that was fun. Yeah, really, really good to talk yeah. to you. Thanks, Greg. Cheers. Cool, man.
So welcome back. And thank you to Alan for that conversation. Uh, I really got a lot out of it and I hope you did too. Some really interesting parts in there, you know, that I guess, you know, the bits that have stayed with me um, and I've been noticing since I spoke to Alan. We actually recorded this um, conversation just before Christmas. And um, the thing that's really stayed with me is actually about uh, reading many books. I used to do it years ago and um, I realized that I'd kind of got out of the habit and just started reading one book at a time. And uh, and what I've re been really enjoying recently is this kind of uh, wild reading. That, uh, that's, I think that's what Alan calls it. And, um, you know, so I've got a few books on the go now and uh, I certainly got a few books for Christmas. So I'm going to be practicing that technique of um, a little bit of reading one book in the morning. And then, you know, I've got a couple of books, fiction books by my bedside. And uh, yeah, it's just really nice to sort of um, dip in and out of different stories and uh, narratives. Also, what I really uh, enjoyed was the idea of going to an art gallery, and I haven't tried this yet, but um, with the idea of just being open and sitting in front of the art and uh, and letting the imagination just go off and see what happens, you know, rather than the kind of analytical mind coming in and needing to um, make sense of it and understand it from that point of view. So, yeah. Uh, I hope you got something out of that conversation. I certainly did. Um, uh, there are links in the show notes for uh, Alan's course. And uh, you can go to his website and also uh, the Psychosynthesis Trust where he teaches. And uh, I'll put some other little links in there as well about some books that we talked about and other different um, things here and there. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the Emerging Purpose podcast. Until then, take care. Goodbye.